Hello family. Well, I've got some good news, some not so good news, some more good news, some bad news, and some more good news. So what do you want first? How about the bad news? We're still here. How about the not so bad news, but bad news? Well, that has to do with a correction they need to make. Not really a correction, more of a completion and an adjustment, which actually turns into really good news. And I'll cover that later. That has to do with Ezekiel's wheel and Revelation chapter 4, which everybody thought was Ezekiel's wheel. Well, it's not. It's something actually better. But I'll get to that a little bit later. And then towards the end, uh, I need to bring some stuff forth that the Lord's been pressing me on, and um, it's probably going to cause a lot of division. And I've been warning about division and separation for a long time, and this is guaranteed to produce it. But I hope for those of you who have been watching these Black and Blue Butterfly videos for the last couple months, I hope you have a little bit of trust in me by now. And when I get to that part of the video, I hope you will listen and look, because this is all part of preparing our hearts for the coming of the Lord. And that all dials in with that Babylonian stuff I've been talking about, where God says, come out of Babylon, my people. And I'm saying, most people don't even know what Babylon is. So how can they come out of it if they don't recognize what it is? In that five-part series on revealing Antichrist reveals what Babylon is. And central to that teaching series is learning to spot the counterfeit. Because the counterfeit was designed and is designed to look like the real thing, but the small nuances and the small discrepancies are what cause people to be sucked into and entrapped by Babylonian doctrines, Babylonian traditions, and Babylonian ideologies that they assign to their faith. Because they think it's real and they think it's required for salvation. Which it certainly is not, but that is how the body of Christ has been groomed and indoctrinated and deceived. Your salvation is based upon the blood of Christ if you apply that blood of Christ to the doorposts of your heart. So it's not going to matter if you got his hair color figured out, his eye color, weight, age, and political affiliation of the Lord. That was a joke, by the way. God loves you because of Christ, and Christ loves you because of God. But on the other hand, if you got a lot of things wrong, I don't think he's going to have you teaching wrong doctrine. So he'll have you do other stuff. But as far as this ministry and this YouTube channel is concerned, we're trying to find out God's appointed times, his appointed covenants, his appointed convocations, his appointed Maseroth, because we want to be used of the Lord in the deeper things of the Lord, just like the Apostle Paul was, just like Moses was, just like the prophets were. So I will be dealing with some controversial issues on the second half of this video. But as for now, I'm going to dive into some more dreams that have been presented in the last couple of days. And this is the good news, because they're all pointing to the same stepping stone that the last two videos were pointing to. And again, that's on or about January 19th. 119, or we flip that, you get 911. Now, in the last video, I went back to a dream from Olive Branch where she saw three moons followed by what we discern to be a meteor shower and a rat with three mice on its back, followed by a tree with what looked to be a starburst behind the tree on its right hand side as we're facing that tree. And after our 200th attempt at discerning that and decoding that, it appears that those three moons, which had images in them, one being a butterfly, the middle one a smiling man, and the third being an owl, well, we finally rendered that to be three phases of the moon. That being the case, 
the last phase ended on the next full moon phase, which started on the 6th of December. In other words, the 6th of December would start a fourth full moon phase. And right on the 11th of January, that's 1-1-1, to all you number crunchers out there, that's like 11-11, but in this case it's 1-1-1, that's where we find the rat with three mice on its back, the rat being the constellation Leo, and the three mice nibbled down to two mice would be the two mice galaxies that are placed just above the tail of Leo. There's your rat with three mice, which she saw in her dream. And we had just recently found the Tree of Life Nebula, and that's where the moon's going to be on 1-19, or January 19th, or 9-1-1. And if I could add something to this that I think the Lord kind of dropped into my lap, that all has to do with that infinity symbol, which is the number 8 on its side. Well, lo and behold, there were 8 people on the ark. So that may be one of the reasons where the number 8 has been coming up a lot, especially on this area where we drew that red sword through that goes right through the Milky Way and all those nebulas we were talking about on January 19th. In other words, the number 8 is referring to Noah and Noah's covenant and as in the days of Noah type stuff. But real quick before I dive into this, you can go to the comment section on the last video, and here somebody posted a dream they had, and here they're talking about a pink mist or a pink cloud. And that was from at mom 8616 They said they saw a sword, a massive sword in the sky with pink clouds, and they were in a mall that was filling up with water. And I've already discussed what those elements or players or symbols represent, like the mall, that would be the polymer globular clusters that make up that uh, four walls of the room by the constellations. Here's a picture of it here with that dark shark nebula at the very top. And we know what the pink cloud is. And we're assuming that that big massive sword is probably the that red line that was drawn on the Stellarium screenshot connecting all these players. And I've been receiving a lot of dreams with similar parameters tied into their narratives. And it's all saying the same thing. In fact, I must have received a good half dozen or more dreams that have been posted on that last video, or people have sent them directly to me via email. And again, they're all pointing to January 19th or a day or two after that. And I had mentioned in the last video that what I was seeing was a convergence right on that January 19th. And as it were, some follow-up dreams that were talking about the full moon of December 6th up into January 19th. And I kind of likened it to God circling the wagons. He's taken all the past Fibonacci countdown points and now the dreams and they're all converging on the 19th of December, which is 1-19, or you flip it, you get 9-1-1. And Genesis 9-1-1 is the Noah covenant. Go look it up. And it has a rainbow in it. Well, we find that in Ezekiel's wheel in Ezekiel chapter 1. And Shelley from Servant Warriors seeing all kinds of rainbows. And people have been seeing double rainbows. I got a double rainbow last year. That was so cool. And like I said, the number 8 is a Noah number because there were 8 on the ark. Just 8. I hope we get a few more than that on this next Noah's Ark, which appears to be the constellation Argo, which is on that rainbow. That being one of the arms of the Milky Way. And that pathway certainly has a lot of colors dialed into it. To me, it looks like a rainbow. So I guess what I'm trying to say real quick here is the body of Christ is active here. We're not relying on one person's dream. It's the body of Christ all participating. 
And when I've been dealing with Olive Branch, we've been emailing back and forth, brainstorming on what these things could mean and should mean. And there's times we disagree on stuff, but there's so much Berean involved in our discussions that we come away with, hey, we've got some really cool scenarios that could play out here. And they have been. And we even got through the double applications <laughs> that have been a great distraction, but were extremely necessary. For instance, her husband had the dance of those two phased moons. He showed four screenshots of them. And at first I thought, yeah, that's going to take us into January. And I don't want to go to January, so I'm going to come up with something else. <laughs> and, and that's how we found the eye of God. And if I had not kind of messed up on that, which wasn't a mess up at all, well, you get four Fibonacci's, and that is identified by all the Fibonacci freaks out there in internet land. They call it the Eye of God. And that's when we found the Helix Nebula, which is the Eye of God, and that exploded the Fibonacci dance that produced a number of very important countdowns and countdown points, especially Orion, which is the embodiment of 1111, and Aquarius, where we discovered the ninth day of Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur itself, which is the tenth day. And now we see that the dance of those two phases, where you saw it four times, also points to January 19th. There's your double application. But we would not have been able to find that unless we got our Berean thinking caps on and our Berean attitudes in full play, and it produced these incredible timelines on God's Mazareth. I mean, how cool is that? It's the body of Christ functioning. Teachers are subject unto the teachers. Prophets are subject unto the prophets. Dreamers are subject unto the dreamers. And we're all working together to solve this mystery, to put God's jigsaw puzzle together as he drops a little breadcrumb here and a little breadcrumb there. So now Olive Branch has another dream and it was a doozy again. And I'll post a link to that in the description box for this video. Go and watch it. It starts pretty much on the second half. First half you should listen to as well. It's very encouraging, very anointed. But please go and watch it. That way, if I get something wrong, you can correct me. That way you keep me in check that I am not adding to it or taking away from it. So I'll give you the cliff note version of it, the short version. But go back and listen to the long version. And the first thing she does is apologize that she didn't get it out sooner. But I think the timing was perfect. I don't think it was meant to come out at the time when she received it. I think it was supposed to come out these last couple days, which it did. And she first sent this to me, and uh, do you think this is from the Lord? And I'm going, oh yes, this is from the Lord. Because it was confirming all the stuff I had just done on Ezekiel's wheel. And a very hard focus on the planet Mercury. And concerning the planet Mercury, someone else from a different part of the world emailed me and says, I think this is your six wings of Revelation 4. Mercury has six wings. Two in his helmet, two in his feet, two in his staff. I think it's pronounced caduceus. That is the medical staff that we're used to seeing. Well, it has two wings. So you got two on the head, two on the staff, two on its feet. Six wings, and the wings are full of eyes. And we know what the eyes represent. That's all those nebulas and galaxies and everything else that looks like eyes in the heavens. So all this is dumping on me pretty much on the same day. And I'm going, confirmation, confirmation, confirmation. And when I read what Olive Branch sent me, I went, confirmation. And what she saw was five planets aligned 
the biggest on the upper left-hand side, and the other four kind of curving down, slanting down to your right as you're looking at it, which is exactly what you see at the end of December when she received this dream. And this all started out in her dream, which she thought herself being in a like a commercial building or a meeting place. And my mind immediately went to the polymer globular cluster, which other people have talked to me about in their dreams. Either a big building or a big church or a big area or a mall. And she saw the building to her left. Well, when she received this dream, the moon would have been to the right of that area. In other words, the mall, the area she's talking about, the commercial building, would have been to her left. And then she said, then a portal showed up in front of those cascading planets. And she thought it was almost like another planetary system. And she saw two planets in this portal. One large planet towards the top middle of the portal circle, and a slightly smaller planet towards the bottom of the circle. And she sent me these two pictures of what the portal kind of reminded her of. And then in her posting of the video that she finally made on this, she depicted it in this manner. And I find that both depictions are perfect. And it's a perfect representation of two of the planets in that five planetary alignment. Because two of the planets are in retrograde. In other words, they're doing a loop-de-loop in the heavens. They're performing a circular pattern and a circular pattern made of an object in the heavens that is reflecting light, well, they produce a circle of light. A very slow circle, but it's lit up the whole time. And I would not have figured that out or guessed that if it wasn't for another dream someone had just sent me, where they saw two tassels of chained mace that knights back in the medieval days would wear under their armor. Here, I'll throw a picture up for you. Something like that. But she saw two tassels... (laughs) And on the tassels were two eggs. What? Two eggs? And I had to email her back and said, well, were they uh, hard-boiled eggs or (laughs) regular eggs? So I'm flipping back and forth to Olive Branch's dream and this lady's dream. And I'm seeing these retrogrades and I'm going, those are the two eggs. Those are the two portals. And one of the main players in this is Mercury, who is a warrior and at the time when this happens, on 119 or January 19th, Mercury is going to be right over the other warrior, which is Sagittarius. And they are both in the tassel of the Sagittarius cloud area of the Milky Way. In other words, those tassels are the Milky Way. And the colors there, you, you look at the colors and it looks like armored tassels. They look like chained mace tassels. And here we have Mercury as one of them, and he's one of the made players, as we're finding out in Revelations chapter 4, that's where we get the six wings. And then over on this area of the body of Christ, we got I Heart Loves Jesus, and God's giving her Mercury. I mean, it's coming in from all directions, which I find to be totally cool. And I can't help but think that a lot of these dreams from these dreamers Well, a lot of them are talking rapture events on or about that time, or pink clouds, which could be pointing to either Beetlejuice or nukes going off, or end-time events. And specifically with Olive Branch, she's seeing these little children disappearing. And the only thing I know that to probably dial up as would be God taking the children 
those who have not reached the age of accountability, he's going to take them. He's not going to let them go through the Great Tribulation. Great Tribulation is for the stiff-necked people of this world. The children are innocent. He's taken the innocents, then he's taken those who have died in Christ who are in the bride company, and then he's taken the bride, all within a split second of each other, as how I see things. But it'll be what it will be, and I'll let God sort all that out. So, as far as this dream that Olive Branch sent to me, and that you can go watch, and please go watch it, please go watch it, it is reflected 100% by Stellarium. In fact, she even mentions this thing, this thing morphed into Stellarium, and this is what I saw, boom. She was looking at Stellarium, and Stellarium confirmed this dream. And in talking with her, she thought it could be from that January 19th into January 20th, give or take a day. Works for me, because I have learned that God hid these things, not only from the world, but he hid it from us. Yeah, no man's going to know the day or the hour, because it's been so hidden, and hidden in so many layers. And that's why when we thought we had certain Fibonacci countdown dates figured out, well, they were actually stepping stones and just one more clue being exposed, but he didn't give us the full jigsaw puzzle at one time. It's one piece of the puzzle, then another, then another, then another stepping stone, then another stepping stone, and I can see that the Lord did more to hide it from us than he did from the world or from the enemy's camp. And I can see why, because he's trying to prepare us, and that takes time, and that takes some grinding, and that takes some black and blue, if not some black and bloody. And after all that was done, I'm getting more dreams coming in. One was from Minister Claude, talking about a leopard lying down on the grass and mouthing some words that nobody could hear. I'm totally persuaded that that's talking about the monarchy, because its image is the Beast of Revelation 13, which is a lion griffin, and the body of that lion griffin is a leopard. And that same green grass was seen by other dreamers concerning the same thing, this lion griffin, and there was grass or, or grassy island or something involved in that as well. So I'm seeing connections by God's Spirit giving certain aspects to one dreamer, to another dreamer, to another dreamer. They're all connecting. The dream that dealt with these medieval mesh tassels that came from Magnolia Blossom and my discernment of her dreams that I've been receiving from her now for the last month or three, they've been 100% accurate, even though they've been crazy, <laughs> in my opinion. I mean, two eggs? <laughs> what do you do with that? Or monkeys dancing with instruments? Well, that was the monkey head nebula. I think she or Sarah had the uh, praying mantis doing something. Well, that's the praying mantis or this scorpion nebula, which is right next to Sagittarius. So when I get these things that really look strange from people, I am even more motivated to dig into it because they've always proven to be spot on. And that's what we're looking for, accuracy. It's just that God hides it in this weird stuff. And it's so effective. I mean, it's brilliant. What God has done in hiding these things is so brilliant because the high-minded and the prideful, they'll just poo-poo this and they'll just say, well, you need to get back on your psych meds. And we're going, nope. That's where the jewels and the golden nuggets are hidden. And Sarah Starchild probably had two or three, as did Magnolia Blossom, uh, two or three dreams since this last video I put out. And I'm going to ask her to 
put those to a video and post the video. And if she does, I will put that link in the description box to this video and go and watch them. The one she just gave me like a day or two ago was made up of two or three dreams and they all connect to the most recent one, which was just a couple days ago. And she saw herself with a vase, not a pot, not a bucket, not like the jar of Aquarius that Aquarius is holding, but a vase. And she found herself in Colorado with this vase and she was planting in the garden, the garden, the garden, flowers in this vase or something to that effect. And then this ant, <laughs> I told you, weird stuff. This ant comes up to her and with its antenna is pointing at the vase. There's something under the vase, chuck under the vase. She lifts up the vase and she sees all these dollar bills or some type of money in bill form with the queen's face on it, Queen Elizabeth. And she reaches into this vase and or grabs the money that was under the vase and she's given all this money to the poor. And she kind of connects that dream to a dream she had months or years ago where she's on this black ship, sailing this ship, where there too there was a vase and there was money in the vase and she's given money to the poor again. And then she goes through the ship with a man that she has seen in many of her dreams and they're finding these treasures and she's handing out these treasures to the poor. And just the night before, we were communicating via email that I thought what the Lord wanted to do is really start focusing on the gifts of the Spirit. And who receives the gifts of the Spirit? Those who are poor in spirit. And so my decoding of that dream, or both of those dreams, was, well, Colorado has one of the most beautiful spots on the face of the earth, and it's called the Garden. The Garden. It's called the Garden of the Gods. It is such a beautiful area. And come to find out, well, the Milky Way in that area on 119 or January 19th, that is also thought of by many astronomers as the Garden of the Gods. And right in that Garden of the Gods is the Eagle Nebula, which is also called the Queen Nebula. Well, there's your Queen Elizabeth. And that ant, well, there's an ant nebula there. I told you, the weird stuff is the best stuff. There's an ant nebula. It's down in the constellation Norma, which is right next to Zeus's altar constellation, which is right above the Triangulum constellation. You can see it there on the screen, right at the kneecap of Centaurus. That is where the constellation Norma is. And I went, what's a Norma? Well, it's a carpenter's square. And that carpenter's square is right above a carpenter's triangle. And when you have a carpenter's square and a carpenter's triangle, you have two of the most utilized icons of Freemasonry. And guess who the queen of Freemasonry is in the monarchy? It was Queen Elizabeth. So she's kind of like represented twice in this dream. One from the Queen Nebula and the other through Freemasonry. And that might be the reason that Minister Claude received that dream of that leopard whispering whispers. In other words, that's how his dream is being tied in to Sarah's dream where she saw Queen Elizabeth. I mean, it could have been any queen, but no, it was Queen Elizabeth on that dollar bill. And she's the queen of Freemasonry in the monarchy. And the monarchy has the image of the beast of Revelation 13 in its coat of arms, which is now being used as the image for the UK. 
All you got to do is look up uh, recent pictures of the Prime Minister, the current one, and the one just before him. And on the podium, you see King Charles' coat of arms. And that lion griffin, you'll see on the upper left-hand corner. And on the other side, you see a unicorn with one horn, probably because he's trying to claim himself as the little horn of Daniel, which is Antichrist. Nevertheless, think it not strange that Minister Claude got that specific dream right when all this is being put together this last couple days. And the vase, I kind of attributed that to the constellation Lyra, or the harp, because it looks like a vase, but at the bottom of that vase, inside that vase, or inside that harp shape, or inside that harp, which is shaped like a vase, is the ring nebula, and many astronomers see it as a rose or a flower. So she's planting flowers and has flowers in this vase, and we got it in Stellarium. And you draw a straight line through all that. That goes through everything we've been talking about in the last couple of videos. And the moon is waning from a crescent moon down to a zero illumination moon on 119, or January 19th, or 911, or Genesis 911. The rainbow, the covenant of Noah, or the number eight, which is the covenant of Noah, because there's only eight on the ark. Oh yeah, and here she's talking about that black boat, the ark. Well, that would be Argo, sailing up the rainbow, sailing up the arm of the Milky Way, which is going through all these nebulas and galaxies, and the greatest gyroscope being the Milky Way itself, right on that date. You see how everything's converging? And right on top of that... Now we have Mercury, the sixth winged manifestation on Stellarium. I mean, check out Revelation 4. And I know of no theologian or minister that did not equate Revelation 4 to the Ezekiel wheels in Ezekiel chapter 1. I've done it for many, many years because that's the only thing we understood at the time. But if you read Revelation 4, there are no wheels anywhere there. It's just that God hid it again because he used the same characters, the same faces on the living creatures in both accounts. Well, there just happens to be three nebulas and Mercury that produce those four images that are on the living creatures in the book of Revelations chapter 4. You've got a calf, and in this case it's not an ox, it's a calf. There's a difference there that I'm just coming to understand. But the first beast was a lion, the second was a calf, not a full-grown ox. The third beast was the face of a man, and the fourth was a flying eagle. Well, the sitting calf nebula is way at the top of the red sword. A little bit farther down, you have the lion nebula. The eagle, well, there's the eagle nebula, which is also the queen nebula, which is also the omega nebula, which is also called the tree of life nebula. And it's right next to the eagle constellation Aquila. And then we have the man. Well, there's no man nebula, but we have a man involved in this equation. Its name is Mercury, or Hermes. One's Greek, one's Roman. Same demigod. And in his personification, and in his rendering, he has six wings. Two on his helmet, two on his staff, and two on his feet. And that's where the eyes are, because there are no wheels in Revelation chapter 4. So the eyes, well, we find them on his wings. And it says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, And before the throne there was a sea, a sea of glass. And the Milky Way, and you can see the colors here, has been described as an ocean or a river or a sea. 
and it's semi-transparent because it's a sea of glass, like onto crystal. I mean, is that what we're looking at here or not? Yeah, it is. And that's considered the gate of God. And what's the gate of God? It's access to his throne. And these four players, three being nebulas and one being Mercury, are surrounded by eyes. It says they were full of eyes before and behind. And I think the greatest concentration of nebulas and galaxies in the heavens is right in this location. I mean, if you go to Stellarium and you click on the deep sky objects icon, the heaviest concentration on galaxies and nebulas is right in that area we've been talking about, right between Sagittarius and Scorpius, right on the ecliptic. I mean, you don't have a better description of that in the book of Revelation than when it says they were full of eyes both before and behind. Now, each of the living creatures or living beasts are attributed six wings, and I can see that. I, I've got no problem with that, not just the one with the man's face, but all of them. And I can dial that in because in Ezekiel, where he talks about the wheel, well, those are constellations. And here's a kind of a bird's eye view of the constellations on the ecliptic. If you pull way back in Stellarium and just post the ecliptic, you get that circle. Well, look where the four living creatures are and it almost forms a complete perfect square, a little bit off. But in my estimation, those are four pillars or four living beasts holding up the crystal sea of glass that the throne of God rests on. And these four living creatures are attributed four wings. And none of them have wings. But where do the four wings come from? I'm guessing it's the blue butterfly because there's butterflies on the ecliptic all around the ecliptic ring. So if those four beasts in Ezekiel can have wings, then all four beasts or living creatures in the book of Revelation chapter 4 can have six wings because it's attributed the six wings of Mercury, in my estimation. So in a kind of a quick conclusion of all this, Revelations chapter 4 is not Ezekiel's wheel. It's something more specific to the time period that it's pointing to. It's pointing to Revelation. Revelation is what John the Revelator saw while he was in the spirit that would happen on or about right before or right into Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, the taking of the bride, the taking of the church of Philadelphia. And so that Revelation chapter 4 only applies to now, not these last 2,000 years or the years going back to Ezekiel. Whereas Ezekiel was seeing God's throne from the point he saw it in the vision until that's concluded. And oh, by the way, that's never going to be concluded unless something weird happens in the heavens and these constellations are no longer constellations. So Ezekiel's wheel is just showing the glory of God and God's Maseroth, which God would reveal in its season. But Revelation 4 is a specific date. And I'm speculating... I'm suggesting that it's a date when these four living creatures all line up on that sword. And that's on or about 119 or January 19th, give or take. And here, Olive Branch is seeing Mercury. iHeart is seeing Mercury. Sarah Starchild is seeing Mercury. Magnolia Blossom is seeing Mercury. Or something that points to Mercury. And we find in Revelation chapter 22, where we have the greater sun god, S-U-N, Sun God, Jesus Messiah, has described that in Malachi chapter 4, the Son of Righteousness with healing in its wings, and he sends his messenger. Revelations twenty-two sixteen. I have sent my angel, or messenger, to testify unto you these things of the churches. I am the root, the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. 
And we think that bright morning star is going to be if and when, hopefully if, Betelgeuse goes supernova. That could be what the pink cloud is people are seeing. And Jesus said the sign of his return is going to be a bright, brilliant flash in the heavens going from east to west. Well, that's a supernova. That's the only thing it can be. And here in verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And that's what a lot of Christians are doing right now. They're talking about the Bride of Christ, and they're talking about the return of Christ, and for the body of Christ to prepare themselves to be his bride. And according to the Maseroth, according to what God is exposing and revealing right now, Mercury is that messenger. And God's trying to send a message like, Hey, it's about time. It's coming. It's here. I don't know how else to dial that up. But look at verse 13. I think this is cool. Revelations chapter 22, verse 13. I am the Alpha and Omega. And what have I been saying about this Maseroth? It's God's Rolex. And God's Rolex is Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is God's calendar. He is God's Rolex watch. And we're looking at the Omega Nebula. That's the Eagle Nebula. And then in verse 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Well, that same nebula is called the tree of life. And that you may enter through the gates into the city. What gates? The gates of God. Or in this case, the gate of God. There's not seven gates like the Mithraics teach. There is one gate of God. And that gate of God goes through the center of the Milky Way, right at that spot where the Omega Nebula, which is called the Tree of Life Nebula, which is called the Eagle Nebula, right where all that dials up at. And that dials up on 119, January 19th. Don't know about you, but I can see I can see a lot of coincidences going on. And that's never a guarantee of anything, but it sure makes life interesting. And if you allow me to wax a little bit bold, I will say, I think you're seeing what I'm seeing. Now, what that translates into on a prophetic level to bring those things that people are seeing in dreams, to bring that into our real-time scenario, our real-time storyline, where we're living at, is there going to be end-time events? Well, like I keep saying, that's between you and the Lord. And I can only hope that this is the final stepping stone, or at least the final stepping stone of something of great significance that would be undeniable to the body of Christ as far as these end-time events. It may not be the rapture. It could be just like Beetlejuice or some sign in the heaven or something. But man, there is such a convergence on this date that I would be foolish to just ignore it. And yet the temptation is there because of all the previous gut punches. And my recommendation right now is go back to that last video I did. I know it's a long one. It's about two hours. But it really paints a very specific picture. And now this video is focusing it even more, especially with that Revelation 4 understanding that we've just come into. And all that's going on with Mercury, Mercury being the messenger and the friend of whoever the sun god is. I mean, in our understanding, in our genre of things, he could represent one of the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. He could be that end time Elijah that scripture talks about. And Jesus talked about John the Baptist being the greater Elijah and the friend of the bridegroom. A lot of cool things going on here if you dare to connect the dots. And I have about, like I said, another half dozen dreams that are all confirming this. They're saying the same thing. 
and you can see some of them on the postings that people leave in the comment section on the last couple of videos of the black and blue butterfly. Go read them. This is the body of Christ working together. This is Team Jesus. And now I must venture into the harder part of this video, and that's what I mentioned earlier, that this is going to bring division. And this I find necessary if we are to prepare the way and the hearts of the body of Christ for the train of Christ. Because in essence, they don't know who Christ is. Look guys, there are over 600 sects, S-E-C-T-S, or sections or divisions or denominations of Christian churches or Christian belief systems that has the body of Christ divided into 600 groups. That's what it was 30 years ago, but they're still touting that number today. 600 different bodies of Christ with a difference of opinions, or there would be just one body of Christ. Now, which of the 600 should we pick? I mean, if that isn't a definition of confusion, then what is a definition of confusion? We have 600 bodies. Is it like 599 are wrong and one is right? I mean, it'd be foolish to think that all 600 are correct because they're all in division. What does that tell you? Yes, in heart and in mind and in spirit, we are supposed to be one body. <laughs> but in doctrine, that ain't real. Now, I know where that all came from because I've been studying this for many years and it goes right back to those church councils. The first one operated under the guidance and the tutelage of Constantine the Great, who is a high Mithraic priest, an occultist, and a murderer. They never did find his first wife. Hey, they never went looking for her. And the, the historical books that are in favor and glorify Constantine admit that he boiled his firstborn son in the Roman saunas, and right next to him, one of the wives that he married, she, he married out of political convenience. She was but a child, probably the same age as his firstborn son. So when they came of age, he got rid of the competition. He had them boiled. And this is the guy that ran the Nicene Council. And they dressed up as Mithraic high priests because that's what they were. And they defined who Christ was and who Yahweh God was based on their wonderfully illuminated spiritual understanding of who Christ and Yahweh was. And I'm kind of guessing they got it wrong. But in today's day and age, we've got all these ministers and theologians proclaiming the glories of these church councils. And that there was only four of them. More like about 300 of them over about a 30-40 year span. And many of which were basically deliberations and finally convictions upon this guy called Athanasius, who probably murdered a priest named Arius, who is running that movement. And Athanasius was found guilty about half a dozen times in a bunch of these church councils. These guys were destroying each other. And Athanasius was from the Western nations under Constantine, and Arius represented the Eastern nations and the Arab nations, well, at one of these church councils, they found Arius dead, and here he had basically lost everything from inside of him, which is largely identified as arsenic poisoning. And Athanasius was thought to have done that, but he was convicted of murder because he had people go into the streets and ramp things up, and people died in the process because that's what people do. They jack up the masses, kind of like what you saw with all these demonstrations, through many cities throughout the world, 
especially the United States, with these weaponized demonstrations. And in our demonstrations, people died. Well, in the demonstrations back then, people died. And Athanasius was found guilty of spearheading that stuff and activating these demonstrations. And though Athanasius did not write the Athanasian Creed, that spirit is there. I mean, go read the Athanasian Creed. Five times in that creed, it says, if you even think something opposite or question it, you're going to burn in hell. There is no salvation for you. In fact, the only way you have salvation is you embrace this metaphysical ideology, an ideology that's not even taught in Scripture. And nowhere in that creed is it talking about the blood of Christ and the covenant that is restored by the blood of Christ. It's our way or the highway. And don't you dare test the Spirit, even though the Bible says you're supposed to, but don't you even dare test the Spirit or test this creed because there will be no salvation for you. What kind of Spirit is that? Certainly doesn't come from on high. And all these metaphysics and all this confusion and the rudiments of the world concerning the doctrine of God and the doctrine of Christ came through these church councils. And that was passed on through the lineage, through the ages, through all the churches, to where we're standing now. That is what the facts produce when you connect the dots. So I'm forced to go back to the Word of God and say, Ah, what does the Word of God say? And not what the Word of God says through the modern translations that were translated by people who are raised and groomed and indoctrinated in these Mithraic-based ideologies you basically have to go in, wipe clean the whiteboard, and start from scratch. And I know very few people who are willing to do that, or even capable of doing that, but that's all I was left with when I learned where our doctrines came from, and who they came from, and the people that produced them. They were not godly people. I don't care how many marketing tricks that were used to exalt these people in the eyes of the masses, these people were evil people. So I went back and I looked at what Moses said about who Christ would be, who Messiah would be. I looked at Daniel. I looked at the Old Testament prophets, all of which the New Testament disciples and apostles quoted. And I'll give you some of those quotes. And hopefully you will see the plan of God, the plan of God for humanity, the plan of God for Messiah. That first Messiah was supposed to be Adam. He was supposed to lay down his life for his bride who messed up. He didn't. He chose the solution offered him by the basilisk who God turned into the serpent. And therefore his bloodline became corrupted and perverted. And anyone coming through that bloodline could not be the Messiah because the blood covenant between God and humanity required pure blood. And that blood is only found in a human being. Well, whose blood are we talking about here that has saved us from the ramifications of a broken blood covenant? And the ramifications of a broken blood covenant is death, eternal death. But that blood, either by proxy and then finally by the real person, fulfilled and replaced and atoned and made payment, which is required in the blood covenant. We needed someone with a pure bloodline and that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 45-47, the first man was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And he's speaking of Messiah. He's calling Messiah, Jesus, Yahshua, he's calling him the last Adam. 
not the last deity. He's calling him the last Adam. And in verse 47, he again makes that distinction between the first Adam and the last Adam. He says, the first man, that's Adam, the first Adam is of the earth, the second Adam is the Lord from heaven, or out of heaven, or sent by God through the conception, his birth, his rising, his growth into a, an adult, into a man. Did I say that? Into a man? Yeah, Jesus, the man. And the same apostle, the guy that wrote, oh, I don't know, three quarters of the New Testament, states in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, the Greek is, God is one. It does not say God is something other than one. It says God is one. And it doesn't mean a united one. It means, hold up your index finger, one. That's what it means. It doesn't get any more simple than that. God is one. And one mediator, okay, hold up that one finger again, one mediator. See that index finger? That represents one, not two, not three, not five, not ten, one. God is one. There is one mediator between God, that's divinity, that is God Almighty, that is Yahweh. There is one mediator between God who is one, between Yahweh Elohim, who is one, and with mankind or humanity. One mediator between God and humanity. The Greek word there is anthropos. We get our classes in high school of anthropology. It's named after anthropos, humanity. And that one, hold up your index finger again, that one mediator who is between Yahweh, Jehovah, Yahuwah, whatever pronunciation you want to use, there is that one, hold up your index finger, one mediator between Yahweh and humanity, the humanity Christ Jesus. That is the Greek for the word man, as the Apostle Paul, the heretic of heretics, because he believes God was one and that Messiah was humanity, makes him a heretic. Well, he did not define Messiah, our Jesus, our Christ, after the church councils. He used the Greek word anthropos, the plural form for the word men, M-E-N, in this verse, and he used the singular Greek word anthropos, to describe Jesus Christ. And we know it's Jesus, because verse 6 says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, I'm kind of just getting warmed up here, because I'm going to be charging at this with a full head of steam, and I'm not going to pull any punches. The majority of the Christian church of the body of Christ has been peddling the Mithraic Christ, not the Christ that Moses spoke of. And here Moses, who is educated and trained in every religion of the world at his time, and all of those religions express their supreme deities and their saviors in a very specific metaphysical rendering, the rendering that the majority of the Christian church embraces today, well, Moses was well-versed in that metaphysics and in that language. He knew the talking points, he knew the buzzwords, he knew it inside and out. He was one of the smartest and most intelligent men on the face of the earth. And he knew this stuff better than you do, better than I do, better than any, any priest, pope, bishop, Bible college teacher, theologian, 
on the face of the earth. He knew it. God drilled it into him when he was in Egypt. So you got to ask the question, how did he define Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah? How did he define God Almighty? And how did he define Messiah? Moses had complete understanding and revelation of Messiah and who Messiah would be and what Messiah would be. What I mean by the word what, well, was he deity? Was he humanity? Was he a combination of both, which is impossible? Was he some Martian or alien from the planet Nibiru? Who was he? Yahweh, Jehovah God, God Almighty, gave Moses specific revelation of who and what Messiah would be. And how did Moses express that? Well, Moses said twice in the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 18, verses 15 through 18, he said it twice. And when God says something through a prophet twice, you better listen twice as hard. And Moses knew who Messiah would be. He knew what Messiah would be. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, I'll quote it to you. The Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means Yahweh. These translators messed with God's name. God's name is not Lord. God's name is Ea Asher Ea, which I'll talk about here shortly. The shortened version of that is Yahweh, or Yahuwah, or I like to articulate, Yahweh. And the word God there, G-O-D, is Elohim. And Elohim, or the word God, is not God's name. That's a title, kind of like saying President Washington. President Washington's name was not President. His name was George Washington, or his formal name, Washington. And most of the translations translate Yahweh as Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is wrong, and they transfer the name Elohim into G-O-D. So let me say it kind of more in a Hebrew rendering. Yahweh, your Elohim, will raise up unto you a prophet. What? Moses, how can you call God number two, Messiah, how can you call him a prophet? Well, we got another heretic, that would be Moses, calling Jesus a prophet. Even though Jesus called himself a prophet. And like, he's the prophet of prophets, he's the king of kings, he's the evangelist of all the evangelists, he's the apostle of apostles, he is the Adam of Adams. He is the first fruit, the first fruit Adam of all the Adams, of the rest of mankind, of the Anthropos. Yahweh, your Elohim, will raise up unto you a prophet in the midst of you, O brethren, all you Adams, of thy brethren, of thy Adams, and he will be like unto me, Moses. Moses, now you're really a heretic because you're calling Messiah, who's supposed to be deified into a demigod or into a version of God or into an emanation of God Almighty. Moses, you're comparing yourself to deity. You heretic. Unless, of course, we had it wrong and Moses had it right. Are you sure of that, Moses? Oh, yeah, he's sure of it. Because in verse 17, he says, And Yahweh said unto me, Moses, verse 18, I will raise up to them a prophet from amongst your Adams, thy brethren, like unto you, Moses, a lesser Adam than the greater Adam. But Moses, you're still Adam. Adam means man. It means humanity. And I will put my words in the mouth of this greater Adam, 
Messiah, who will be like unto you, lesser Adam, Moses, continuing in verse 18, and I will put my words in his mouth, the greater prophet, Jesus being the greater Moses, and he shall speak unto them, the brethren, the other Adams, and speak unto humanity, all who came through the loins in the lineage of the first Adam, thus their bloodline is corrupted and we needed a pure bloodline, he shall speak everything I command of him, which Jesus did as the greatest prophet. Verse 19 of Deuteronomy 18. And it shall come to pass that whoever will not hearken unto my words, me, my, that would be God Almighty, Yahweh, speaking these words through the mouth of the prophet, Messiah, well, things are going to go bad for those people who don't listen to the words of God that were spoken through the lips, the mouth, through the heart of Messiah, Jesus, Yahshua HaMashiach the one mediator between God who is one, Yahweh, God Almighty, who is one, and the rest of humanity. And we find this verse quoted twice in the New Testament. Double emphasis. It's quoted in Acts chapter 3 by Peter. So you got Luke bearing witness to what Peter said, and Peter is quoting Moses, and in the middle of that, he says, all the Old Testament prophets believe this. So now I'm guessing all the Old Testament prophets are heretics because they likened the Messiah to Moses, not to eternal deity, God Almighty. Jesus is the son of God Almighty. And let me give you a phrase that the Lord gave me to help this make this a little bit more palatable because we are so wired into, and in, and in a good way, glorifying our Messiah our beloved, our bridegroom, that we deify him. Well, they do the same thing to Mary. She's deified in the Catholic Church, as is Peter, as is Paul, as is all the saints. They're deified. They are deities. You pray to deities. You don't pray to those that are not deities. And how many prayers since the conception of the Catholic Church have gone to Mary? And Jesus said, when you pray, you will pray in this manner. Hail Mary, full of grace. Oh, sorry, I got that a little mixed up because I know Mary was standing right next to him when he gave this instruction of how to pray. And he didn't look at the masses and then point to Mary who was standing right next to him because she was one of his disciples. She was there at the Sermon of the Mount when Jesus gave this instruction. Jesus did not stand up and say, Hey, everybody, when you pray, hey, look at my mother. Hail Mary, full of grace. He didn't do that. He could have. He should have, if that's the reality. And he didn't point at himself. He said, Our Father, who is in heaven. And Jesus was standing there on earth, and he was pointing to heaven. You pray to that guy there, him, Yahweh. Yahweh is God Almighty. Only he can answer prayer. Now, we do it through Christ, because only through Christ can those prayers be answered because he has fulfilled the covenants, and it was his blood that allows that restoration and that atonement. But Jesus said, Our Father. What part of that does the body of Christ not understand? And I would say, pretty much all of it. Because people are praying to Mary, they're praying to Peter, they put these amulets on them, or God says, You shall have no graven image of any kind of anyone at any time. Any questions? But we have these trinkets that we hold on to, that we put on a chain and hang around our neck. 
and we rub on them to get the holy anointing that they represent, and they are an idol, a direct and blatant violation of God's covenant. But thank God for the blood of Christ, because even that violation can be covered. But we're seeing the difference between this entity, if I can use that word, entity of deity, that's God Almighty. His name is Ea Asher Ea, or the short version is Yahweh, or Jehovah. Jehovah is the anglicized version of that. And then we have his son, two different persons. Jesus is not the father. And a lot of people teach that. It's called modalistic monarchianism. That was also at the time of the early church years, especially around the time of Constantine. You have God in a mode. Well, that's kind of weird because God was dying on the cross, praying to himself if Jesus is the father. Who are they flipping back and forth? You know, first he's on the cross and he's in heaven and cross in heaven, cross, heaven, cross. He's praying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for that matter, my God, Jesus has a God. His name is Ea Asher Ea, Yahweh, Jehovah, God Almighty. And after he resurrected and he is about to jump on the trail to Emmaus and kind of sneak up on those two disciples, well, he first had a conversation with Mary Magdalene. He says in John 20, verse 17, Jesus said unto her, that's Mary Magdalene, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. He's got a father. But go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and unto my God and your God. Jesus has a God who is his father. So did the first Adam. But now we're looking at the glorified second Adam. And if I dare quote another heretic, his name, uh, well, it's Jesus, he's a heretic, has to be. Look at what he said through John the Revelator, who also has to be a heretic now, because in Revelations chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus, through John the Revelator, says, that he or him that overcometh, and this is the, to the church of Philadelphia, the bride, him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. So in that verse alone, anybody who writes this or quotes this or states this, has labeled themselves a heretic because Jesus has a God. And deity, by definition, is God Almighty, has no God. Well, what do we do with Jesus then? He's the plan of God. Look at it this way. And this is what God gave me to give to you. There is God Almighty and there is man Almighty. What? You got to be kidding me. Well, let me quote the greatest heretic of all times that we just learned now, which is Christ himself, because he says he has a God, a Father. And I'll quote this beloved heretic, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power, all power. Did I mention that he said all power? All power is given. Not all power is taken back because I reversed the incarnation and took back my divinity. No, all power is given. Deity is not given anything. It is everything. Or he is everything. Yahweh is everything. And that's where the power came from. He is the father. 
He is spirit, and he gave Jesus all power. Man almighty. Almighty means all power. Man, the Christ man Jesus, given almighty. The man almighty. Given it from deity almighty. One is deity. That's Yahweh. One is humanity. That's Jesus. And now you can sit back and look at the tremendous and terrible. And what I mean by terrible is like mind-blowing, unfathomable. You can't really wrap your head around this terrible. You can see the terrible sacrifice that Christ made for us and for you. You being that pearl of great price. Jesus said there's a man who would sell everything and do anything for that pearl of great price. That is you, his bride, and that is Christ, our pearl of great price, and we are to give everything to pursue him. And when I see an Adam, the last Adam, make that decision and allow that destruction to come upon him, first in his ministry, then ultimately and exaggerated on the death of the cross, it blows my mind. Big deal, you got a deity dying for you. Well, I didn't. I had a man, the man. I don't, I never call Jesus a man. I call him the man because that's what the apostle Paul called him. There is one mediator between God who is one and humanity. One mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The first fruits, Christ Jesus. The second man, last Adam, Christ Jesus. And I can't even begin to understand the depths of the hell that he went through being totally separated from God, being totally separated from Yahweh, his God and Father, our God Almighty, and Jesus tasting of that total separation, that total darkness, that total stripping, rendering, condemnation, death. I mean, I did a quick calculation just in my head the other day. How far did you carry that cross? So Jesus, after having incredible sleep deprivation, dehydrated, whipped until his bones were exposed, bleeding out, he carried that cross for two miles. Well, he didn't quite get the full distance, so it was the gentleman's name Simon who carried it the rest of the way. Then they tagged him on that graven image, and he hung there for six hours. And sometime in between there, during and after, he tasted of complete separation from his God, from his Father, the man, Christ Jesus. And I can't glorify Christ by morphing him into a deity, but I can glorify him and extol his holy name and come somewhat close to understanding the magnitude of his love for me and for mankind because I see a man who went through this. And in the book of Revelation, they found no one to open the scrolls, but a man, the only man who is worthy to open the scrolls. So how do I know that this passage is talking about humanity? Well, since when is deity the root of David? Since when does deity come out of the tribe of Judah? This is speaking about the humanity of Christ. It was a man. It will be a man. It is Jesus who will open the scrolls. The man Christ Jesus, not God number two, not deity number two. The greater Adam, the greater Enoch, the greater Noah, the greater Abraham, the greater David, the root of David, the root of Jesse, from the tribe of Judah, in his glorified state. Because I'm assuming he's going to open the scrolls 
oh, sometime right about now, give or take. And right about now, give or take, he's in his glorified state. He is complete humanity. But that's coming from that heretic, uh, John the Revelator. So maybe we shouldn't listen to him. Then again, maybe we should. And that book of Revelation also states that Jesus is the lamp, and God, I'm assuming, his God, his Father, is the light thereof. And then in Revelations 22, Jesus again states that he is the root of Jesse, which is the father of King David. And I'm guessing Jesus is talking in his glorified state in heaven, stating that he is the root of Jesse. And that doesn't sit well with the metaphysics with that Athanasian creed. And it says, Jesus is the lamp, and Yahweh is the light that that lamp contains. Jesus is the living temple, and in the living temple dwells the living God, Yahweh, God Almighty. God Almighty is the light. Man Almighty is the temple. There are two. But what about the Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's essence. It means the holy breath of God, the holy presence of God, the holy manifestation of God. And you, being in the image and likeness of God, well, you're spirit, aren't you? Aren't you a spirit? Are you a holy spirit? Or are you a not holy spirit? Now, you're not the Holy Spirit. Your spirit is humanity. But you are a spirit being. You are spirit. But Yahweh is the eternal deity, God Almighty, eternal, everywhere present spirit. He is the Holy Spirit as to something that is not the Holy Spirit, but a Holy Spirit. Angels are Holy Spirits. They're holy. They're spirits. Holy Spirit. And like I said... You're in God's image and likeness. You're in the image and likeness, to some extent, of angels. Just say, you ain't got your wings yet, okay? <laughs> but I mean, in essence, speaking in essence, you are spirit. You're not multiple personalities. You're not multiple persons. You are one person. You're one entity. You are spirit. And if you have the blood of Christ applied to you, you are Holy Spirit. But you're not the Holy Spirit. I would say we are a Holy Spirit or a spirit that is holy. So don't go SOS on me. That means stuck on senselessness, or in this case, stuck on semantics, because the words and the phrases I use don't line up to the grooming you've received. However long you've been sitting under your current priest or teacher or pastor or theologian, and almost every one of them, I can dial them back and walk them back to Constantine. And I will be bold enough to say, this is the only thing that makes sense. God Almighty and humanity. God Almighty and his first Adam, whose name was Adam, back in the garden. That one failed. He's going to complete his plan. What's his plan? To make man, man Almighty, for man to rule over God's creation that has been put under our feet, that being the earth and anything around this area of earth. Man ruling the earth through the leadership, guiding, and anointing of God Almighty, of Yahweh. But Jesus says, I'm the great I am. Who do you look for? Jesus. I am. And they fell over. Wrong. When Jesus said that, that's called an ellipsis. There's a word there, or words there, that are assumed, that are implied. Who do you look for? Jesus. I am he. I am Jesus. You found the right guy. That's what happened in the garden when they came to snatch him up for the crucifixion. The word Yahweh, the longer version is 
Ea, Asher, Ea, is a verb. It's not a pronoun. It's not a noun. God's name is not, I exist. What he showed Moses was, hey, Moses, this is what you tell them. This is my name. And he showed Moses creation. He showed him motion. He showed Moses what he did. God's name is what God did. Creation. It's the same word in Genesis chapter 1. Let there be. Let there be what? Well, let there be light. Let there be the heavens. Let there be the sun. Let there be the moon. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And it wasn't just a proclamation. It was the action. My name is action. Motion. The action of creation. Moses, tell these people the action of creation, the guy who did it, that's his name. And that is the one who is sending me to you to liberate you from Egypt through the blood of the Lamb. Well, Jesus said in that argument with the Pharisees, Sadducees, before Abraham, I was. No. The argument, the debate there was, hey, Yahshua, you, Jesus, you standing over there, you're greater than Abraham? That was the question posed him. And what Jesus said was, even before Abraham, Messiah was prophesied to be greater than Abraham. So yes, before Abraham, I was prophesied to be greater because I am the Messiah. Messiah will be greater than Abraham. It's prophesied before Abraham was even born. And there's other examples throughout scripture where this stuff has been so twisted by the Mithraic Roman-based translators. Well, a lot of that is in the series Revealing Antichrist. You can find it on my YouTube channel, and it'll express a lot of this stuff. But really, this would take a couple years to really unfold in front of you, if you're even interested, which most people I've run into in life could care less. But if you care, there's a source of information you can look into. Jesus is going to glorify Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah. He's going to glorify his God and Father by defining who he is. And there's no other deity beside Yahweh. And Jesus is humanity. He is man almighty. And the Father is going to glorify his Son, Christ. That is to say, God Almighty is going to glorify and magnify and define the man almighty. The man almighty. And if you could all kind of look around and see if, I wonder if I got a sacred cow here called the Athanasian Doctrine or the Arian Doctrine or the Modalistic Doctrine or the Apollinarian Doctrine. These are all basically the same doctrines that just deify the man. And there's a couple dozen more. Well, take that sacred cow and just kind of put it over in the corner someplace and check out what I'm saying. Because when I came to this understanding, my love and my awe of Yahshua HaMashiach just went off the charts. And then I understood better how Jesus can be the bridegroom and we can be his bride. Because not only is he the last Adam, the New Testament Adam, he's looking for the New Testament bride, the New Testament Eve. And then God's plan will go full circle. His plan was to have Adam and Eve in his heart, in his garden, taking over the family business which is the kingdom of God on earth. It doesn't get any more simple than that. Or you can forget and demonize and deflect everything I just said and continue on with your Babylonian-based doctrines that came from some very shady characters that ran some very shady church councils. 
this. Put your head on a swivel, people, if you're going to be one of those 300. And that head on a swivel is your crown. Let no man take your crown. Let no man manipulate and subjugate and tell you how to think. Go into the Word of God yourself and find this. And a lot of the heavy lifting has been done. It's in that series, Revealing Antichrist. And just in the last few weeks, I am just almost dumbstruck as how much Mithraism I am finding in current day events. And here I'm watching God reveal it in his Maserath because it's the counterfeit. And I studied this counterfeit for many, 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 many years. I'm seeing it as he's unfolding it, but he's putting a big twist on it. And that is, that's the counterfeit. What's being brought forth is the true. And God is restoring his appointed times his appointed covenants, his appointed convocations, and his appointed Maseroth, his Rolex watch, his Alpha and Omega. Because in the book of Job, he says that there will be a revealing of the Maseroth in his season. And 1 Timothy 2.5, Yahshua HaMashiach, Christ Jesus, the one mediator, the man Christ Jesus, will be testified in a season, in a due time. He's correcting the doctrine of God and the doctrine of Christ. There is a restoration going on, or at least he wants to complete that restoration. And that restoration in my life has been nothing short of incredible. Jesus will be magnified in your eyes and your understanding when you see him as man almighty. And that helps when you come to understand that if you actually look into what this Athanasian definition tries to teach, none of that's in scripture. I mean, they say they have three entities co-equal. Well, does that mean the Father is humanity? Does that mean God number three is humanity? That's what that doctrine teaches, co-equal in every aspect, in every way. One is humanity. And that humanity is talked about being humanity in the book of Revelation because humanity opens the seals. So in the glorified state of this man almighty, his glorified state is humanity. So why isn't the father humanity? See, this is how I do things. I'm going to interpret things according to what they say, just like the doctrine of Nibiru. I'm going to see what they say about Nibiru, and then I'll see if there's reality behind it. And there's no reality behind it. I'm, just, I'm going by what they say. I'm not making it up, and I'm not picking and choosing those things that make my life go easier when I'm trying to decipher this stuff. I go by what they say. And there is no humanity in God Almighty. He is nothing but deity. No humanity there. But if I have to follow this Athanasian doctrine, I have to conclude there's humanity in them because they're co-equal. And when I see all that kind of confusion coming up, I'm going, hey, this probably ain't of God. There is one God who is one and there is one, hold up your index finger, one mediator between this God who is one and humanity, the humanity, Christ Jesus, Yahshua HaMashiach, who wants to make you a pillar in a temple of his God and write upon him the name of his God and the name of the city of his God, which is Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from his God. That same God who Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, I go to your father, my father, your God, my God. So if any of you out there want to argue about this and try dropping your manifesto on my YouTube channel here in the comment section, you better address those issues 
and address the verses and the scriptures that I have brought forth. Because I've been doing this for many years. I know what you're going to say. I know how you're going to say it. And it starts with ignoring and deflecting and demonizing anything you don't believe. And that's what the Inquisitions were made of. That's not the Berean spirit that I'm looking for. And time is short. So I'm not going to argue with you. Unless you have something that, I don't know, book of Revelation that I quoted from isn't real. First Corinthians, where I'm quoting the Apostle Paul of the second man, last Adam thingy. Well, that's not real. Um, First Timothy is a perversion. We can prove it in the Greek. Give me some proof. But don't be slinging stuff at me in the effort to change the narrative so you don't have to look at it. If you've got an honest question about something, I'll honestly answer it. And one final thing, get filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean the way that they got filled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Not the way that the two disciples that Paul ran into 19 years after the baptism of Christ, not the way that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, because they didn't even know that the Spirit was given. No, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the point. Paul then laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, and they received that gift. You don't get filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation. Else, the disciples and apostles themselves were not saved from the resurrection until Pentecost because they didn't receive the infilling of the Spirit until Pentecost, which, according to my calculations, was the same day Moses came off the mountain with the two tablets, and that was 95 to 100 days after he left Egypt, after Passover? You mean to tell me the disciples were not saved for about 95 to 100 days? Or if you want to use the perverted understanding of Pentecost, 50 days after the first fruit wave offering or, or Passover. So they weren't saved between the resurrection and Pentecost because you only receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved. You see how the thinking just goes sideways? And like any other gift, it's rare that you receive the gift at your salvation experience. How about the gift of healing or the gift of knowledge? People are saved and they don't experience those gifts until years or decades later, sometimes days later or weeks later, which would be cool. But there is a difference. And I contend that that gift that they received and the only gift that was given out on the day of Pentecost is the greatest gift and the foundational gift of all the gifts because that prayer language in tongues is the only gift that is an intimacy between those who are praying it and the one who is receiving it, which is God Almighty, through Christ. And what greater gift is there to the bride than an intimate praise and communication between the bride and Yahweh, who ultimately is our Ishi, our husband, in Christ, Christ in him, where none of the other gifts address that theme or application. I mean, healing is not a love between you and God. It's an edification of the body, the word of knowledge, an action of power of the Holy Spirit. That's to edify, to build up the body. But it's not singing unto the Lord, which tongues is. Singing love songs unto the Lord. Singing praises unto the Lord, which tongues is. And Peter calls it a gift. It's a gift from the king to his bride. Why should I reject a gift from my beloved? I just cannot wrap my head around that. Anyway, I will preach no more. 
If you think I'm a heretic, fine by me. It's not the worst thing I've ever been called. I work for the big guy who's been anointing me through these many years to find this stuff out so that he can bring it to you so you can make a decision. And I think he's going to whittle it down to 300 because he's looking for his man-child, the man-child of Revelations chapter 12, his messenger of Revelations 22, those who are in the same sheet of music, those who will allow God Almighty to make holy hamburger out of these holy cows. Because in the millennia, the move of God is going to cover the entire earth. And he's not going to cover the earth with Babylonian-based doctrine. Man has tried that for the last 6,000 years, and it's never worked. Well, now we have the greater Adam. We have the greater Enoch. We have the greater Noah. We have the greater Abraham. We have the greater Moses. We have the greater David. And it doesn't make any sense to me that he's going to come back here and regurgitate the stuff that hasn't worked for 6,000 years. Especially when it could be easily and clearly revealed and exposed that that stuff was all Babylon or had serious elements of Babylon in it. God says, come out of Babylon, my people. Well, why would Jesus shove us back into it? Because he's not. And the people that rule and reign with him are people that are going to be trained up and educated in the rudiments of Moses, in the rudiments of the prophets, in the rudiments of the disciples and apostles who were all on the same sheet of music, which the church has not been. And that's clear when you examine the church councils and the people who ran it. And oh yeah, 600 divisions of the body of Christ. So I need to end it here because I'm, I'm way past what I should have even said. But I think there's going to be a separation. I think God is going to whittle it down. And Jesus is going to be that greater Gideon. So at least consider these things that I have brought you and take it before the Lord and see what he tells you. Ain't that big of a deal when you do it that way. And if you think I'm a heretic or a crazy man, you can always go back and embrace what you've been indoctrinated in for however long you've been walking with the Lord. I get where you're coming from because I was there. Much of my adult life, I understand how this world works at least to the level of how deception has bowled its way into the body of Christ, into our doctrine, into our churches. I totally get it, but I also totally get what I just brought you. It makes so much sense. It is so simple. And believe you me, I was raised as a child up to my adulthood in the church that invented all that stuff I just exposed. We invented it. It's called the Church Councils. It's called Constantine the Great. It's called Church Fathers, who are not Church Fathers at all. I understand the fear of coming out of one paradigm or mindset or ideology and trying to consider another. I understand the mess-ups and the perversions that are in the translations. And that took many, many, many years of walking this walk. I don't expect anyone to get it in the next five minutes. But I do think you can understand God Almighty and Man Almighty. Maranatha.